0: Beloved friends, you know that by the sound of that music, it is time for Zippy the Wondersnail. Two Christian guys zooming, zipping through the news and culture that matters to you. I'm Jason, one of your hosts, and my illustrious co-host is Tim Butler. How are you doing, Tim?
1: Hey, I'm doing great, Jason, and I can't wait as we zip through another episode. We have so much planned for tonight, don't we?
0: We probably have too much planned, but we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like when I arrive at a buffet of really good food, uh, you know, one of those ones that has all the wonderful baked potatoes and the beautiful homemade desserts and the whole bit, and, and you just know by the end of the night you're going to be rolling out.
0: <laughs> that sounds like change I can believe in, especially after this pandemic. Yeah, it,
1: it's a. I love dinner metaphors, and of course that's how we're going to start tonight. We're going to actually talk about a famous dinner, and what happens in the conversation around it. We're going back to the Upper Room Discourse. Jason, you've been taking us through the Gospel of John over on your blog, and tonight we're going to talk a little bit more about it, specifically now that they are in the Upper Room having that dinner together, and Jesus is giving those final instructions to his disciples. So why don't you just share a little bit about what God's been doing with uh, your study of that section of the Gospel?
0: I think it's really interesting and it's always touched me, being so close to John and reading his gospel so many times, and and it moves me very deeply in my heart to read John's gospel. And I, he's a person that I feel like I know. Um, and that section when they're in the upper room between chapters thirteen and seventeen, you just you just feel like you're there, and you feel like you're a close friend of Jesus and of the apostles. And it's really good sometimes um, to place yourself in the gospel scenes, if you know what I mean. Uh, and as I've gone through it, I I do feel like I'm there, like I'm in the room. Um, but the thing that struck me, that it has continuously struck me since we entered the room in chapter 13, if you will, is how many times I've had to say as I'm as I'm working through it and, and helping my readers through it, and, and it will become a book, as I've probably said, is how many times I've had to say that we can't do whatever the Scripture is instructing us to do on our own. Yes. I think the thing that moves me so powerfully is how often I have to say, and we can't do this on our own. We can't love on our own. We can't, we can't be who we are to be in our own strength. We cannot do it. Um, and in the upper room, we're going to be more introduced to the Holy Spirit and to a deeper intimacy, not only with the Holy Spirit, but with Jesus. Um, and again, it's not something we can just do on our own but jesus is there and he's going to conclude it with his own prayer as as the great high priest and it's just you're sitting there and and you realize the the powerful prophetic nature of what he said at one point he said apart from me you can do nothing um but then we're living in this tension of apart from me, you can do nothing, but you have things for us to do. Um, so I'm sure that's interesting to you as a pastor, because if we were literally going to do nothing, then you would have nothing to say and you wouldn't have a job. Um, no, so, yes. Yeah, please no. <laughs> so, so, the, so the tension between, you know, and it's that primacy of grace, right? It's a primacy of grace. Right. And God has to... to give us the grace to do what He's calling us to do, but then He's still calling us to do things. So I'll throw it to you right there, and if you want to jump off at any point right there.
1: Well, the, the whole section is just so fascinating to me, but I love the point that you've been focusing on, because it is such an important reminder. And it's interesting you bring up what it's like to, to go into pastoral ministry doing that, because... The temptation, ironically, I think, is oftentimes to focus on what can I do on my own? It's amazing how easy you can go from preaching God's grace and how much we need his spirit and even preaching straight out of the upper room discourse. And suddenly you go on to the next thing and you're thinking about, well, how can I, with my ingenuity, make this happen? And it smacks you right in the face every time because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But you look at... I guess it gives me a little hope because you look at the disciples, they clearly don't get that at the time. They get it later on, but they clearly don't. They go and try to do things on their own. It doesn't go well over the next few hours after this dinner. And it's such a a humbling reminder and comforting reminder, one, that I'm going to fail miserably, too, because if they couldn't do it, I can't do it. And in fact, the evidence is I can't do it on my own. But also that Jesus's grace is in that, that when we realize that, and we realize that over and over again, that he invites us right back into his presence. It's not where he instructs us in that. And when we don't get it, then he says, okay, that's enough. You thought you could do it on your own. So you, I'm not going to help you anymore. He, he comes right back. And just as he's preparing his disciples there, and then he prepares them more after his, his resurrection, so too, he continues through his spirit to prepare us
0: it's just so wonderful to know that all the way back you know even earlier before the discourse he had said not one of you will be snatched out of my hand um and it was back in chapter 10 when he's introducing himself as the good shepherd and so it's so intimate to me because here I'm I'm engaged in this project of trying to make the Gospel of John as simple and as interesting as I can. You know, the subtitle is, um, An Ordinary Reader's Guide to the Gospel of John. So I'm engaged in, okay, let's make it simple. Make it plain for ordinary people that that don't have advanced degrees and stuff. And at the same time, every time I write one of these sections, I have to stop and I pray to the Holy Spirit. Uh, not Not to boast or anything like that, but I've found so many times that even though I've read it a million times, it's as clear as mud unless and until I pray to the Holy Spirit and, and ask him to come and speak. And because he tells them when he's in, when he's there with him, he tells them the Holy Spirit will take from what is mine and declare it to you. um, And... We've got to rely on that. And he, he says elsewhere, he says, I have so many more things to tell you. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I have so much to tell you, but essentially there's too much. The Holy Spirit will declare to you everything that you need to know, basically. And so often, I think, you mentioned it earlier tonight in another context. I think people are so afraid of going too far with the Holy Spirit are there's errors related to uh, the Holy Spirit and, and what he does that we're afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit and frankly to treat him like the person of God that he is. So one of the, one of the things that's happening as I'm exploring this is Jesus is, is sharing the deepest intimacy with those he calls his friends. And he's also introducing them to the Holy Spirit. And that's why he tells them to wait in Jerusalem. You know, later on, he's like, you got to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. And that's the boldness of Peter and the rest of them when they receive the power of the Holy Spirit after they wait. So anyway, we could go on and on about that. But uh, you want to wrap it up with anything with that? Well, I'm just glad you're
1: bringing up that point, and I I think we would do well as Christians to spend more time on the Holy Spirit, and not more time on the conversations we often have, the ones you were alluding to, where we're talking about what sort of, uh, I mean no disrespect by this, but what special effects can the Holy Spirit do, where we're basically looking for the Holy Spirit just to do these big, spectacular things, but what does it really mean when the scriptures say over and over again that the Spirit of God dwells in in his his people? And how can we spend more time reflecting on that? When Jesus is giving his last instructions to his disciples before he's betrayed, what does he do? He talks about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is meant to be a person whom we we turn to and we understand is with us and comforts us and emboldens us. And uh, we would we we hobble ourselves, I think, when we spend so much time almost, for lack of a better word, ignoring the Holy Spirit. Because the, what better blessing could God give us than than to actually invite us to have Him dwell in in us, not just with us, but in us. He He, he enters into us, and He is with us through that. Uh, what an amazing thing! And I, I think it's no it's it's no coincidence that sort of on bookends of the the crucifixion and and the resurrection you have the holy spirit right there jesus instructing the disciples on the holy spirit prior to his crucifixion and then pentecost after the resurrection where the holy spirit is the one who's going to drive the expansion of the church
0: and and because he is the one who takes from what belongs to Christ and declares it to us and and we know this because we're talking about the triune god but but god is not jealous of himself so the holy spirit is never going to he's never going to lead us wrong and he's never going to detract from the glory that belongs to Christ and and certainly the two are not going to detract from the father and the father is pleased to be worshipped and adored through the other two and vice versa. So uh, it's a wonderful thing to get to know the Holy Spirit and to get to know the other two persons of the Godhead through the Holy Spirit and explore that intimacy. I want to say really quick before we move to the next thing, that I have this little prayer book. Um, It it helps you to revive the ancient practice of Lexio Divina. Uh, roughly translated spiritual reading. And at one point, this lady she says, Okay, now, and it's in John 14 somewhere. Um, and she says, Okay, now, when you read that passage again in John 14, and I think it's, I think it's somewhere related to when he reveals himself to Mary. But she says, Okay, now put your own name in there. And so I put my name in there. And I about broke down crying, Tim, because it, it it was the Lord Jesus saying my name and knowing me personally. Um, and it's wonderful when that can happen when you when you're still in the context, you're still in the scripture, but it's for you, and it's personal and it's deep, and you realize that God loves you. And it's not just it's not just words on a page. God loves me. God, the triune God loves me.
1: That really is the inconceivable wonder that we find in Scripture. And it's one of the things I love whenever we're studying about the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus, the work of the Father, is that is we can think about, oh, I'm reading about this this historical figure or that historical figure. But these promises are true for us as well. And, and that actually brings us a great transition to our first sponsor tonight, which is the Faith Tree Men's Bible Study. Jason, you know something about the Faith Tree Men's Bible Study.
0: I I think I might know something about that. Yeah, because I'm in it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and if you're in it, then everyone should want to be in it. Uh, it's a, a wonderful opportunity to explore exactly what we've been talking about because we're in the Acts, we're, we're just going into chapter two and exploring that, where we see the power of the Holy Spirit working through the people in the early church, flawed, weak individuals being strengthened by God and enabled to boldly proclaim the gospel and and communicate Jesus's grace. You You see exactly what you're describing. And the wonderful thing is, if we keep in mind what you just said, as we're reading that about those apostles— yes, they're the apostles, and yet those promises and that care that Jesus shows them is the same care that we're shown. And and so it's it's a wonderful thing. It's not simply a history lesson by reading the book of Acts in a Bible study. We're actually learning more about what our God does and continues to do today. And that's something I love about being in the book of Acts.
0: And I'm the annoying guy, uh, you know, theologically educated, seminary trained and all that, but I'd love taking us to other books. So I'm the annoying guy in the Bible study that's like, "Oh, this connects with this other thing in this other book that we're not even reading." So, uh, but it is a joy to connect to God's word and to to rejoice in it and to realize that uh, God, our Father, and the Triune God is rejoicing in us. So,
1: absolutely, we,
0: uh, we could talk about that all day long. We could, <laughs> maybe we should. <laughs> Yeah, we, we probably should,
1: although we do need to move on to our next segment, but I just encourage people to check out tonight's sponsor. If you have questions about getting involved in it, you can go to faithtreecf.org, or you could leave a comment wherever you're tuning in to Zippy the Wonder Snail, and we'll reach out to you and help you get connected. It's the Faith Tree Men's Bible Study. We meet every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. It's online, so whether you're local, you're around the nation, around the world, we'd love to have you be a part of that, starting hopefully next week.
0: I agree with everything
1: you said. Hey, Jason, you had brought up the interesting transition we've seen with Dr. Russell Moore. He's been the head of the ethics wing of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now he's moving over to Christianity Today. So why don't you help us to wrestle with that topic a bit?
0: Well, that's really interesting. There, there's there been a lot of, seems like a little bit, of a lot of conflict in, in the Southern Baptist Convention um, and about the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission that Dr. Moore was the head of. Um, and so he, even though the people that are opposing Dr. Moore are what he would term as a vocal minority, um... There enough that he he just can't uh, endure the endure the conflict anymore, um, and and Beth Moore, no relation, has also left the SBC, um, and he released a he released a letter um, from some time ago. It was an internal letter that has come out explaining some of the reasons that are bringing him to this point now, and and actually says. That a lot of um, a lot of what has happened is how the Southern Baptist Convention has dealt with cases of sexual abuse in their churches, so that's a very sensitive topic um and but as as men of the truth uh we want to stand here and say to everybody, if you see something, say something
1: absolutely yes
0: um And, and we want to be, we want to be the people that are on the side of victims and on the side of those who help them. And we don't want to be, you know, neither one of us want to be so in love with institutions that we forget to be the people of the truth and fail to be the people of the truth. So I applaud, uh, Dr. Moore for standing up for the truth, um, especially as it relates to this issue, because I'm going to tell you, Christians all over the place, they need to be the people of the truth and not to be the people of protection and fear and, and cover-ups and stuff, because this issue is not going to go away for any of us. Um, and Dr. Moore is, is going to point that out. And to be fair, there were other concerns. There were political concerns and there are political things roiling the 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 convention there but that stuff that stuff is less pertinent if you want it to be. You know if you if you're focused on the truth and focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the political things are just the political things. You and I, it may surprise the listeners, but you and I do not agree on politics at all. But we have a focus on on Jesus Christ and on being the people of the truth. So those things are uh, interesting to talk about, but they're secondary to who we are and what we believe in. So I feel like if if people were giving uh, Dr. Moore a fair shake from the beginning and sharing his concerns and empathizing, then he wouldn't be in this place and maybe neither would Beth Moore. So um it's a loss for the Southern Baptist Convention. I've always benefited from his preaching, from his faithfulness to the to the word of the gospel, uh even though we're in different places, he and I. Uh, and he's one of the just one of the important and valuable public voices that we have out there. So we don't wanna lose we don't wanna lose that voice.
1: Right. I'm so thankful for uh for his voice, even when I've disagreed with them, We talked about this last time, but I think it's a really important thing for us to keep coming back to, which is that we can disagree on some issues and still, as you were saying just a moment ago, be unified enough in the gospel that we can hear people that we disagree with and respect them and appreciate their contributions. And that's been so heartbreaking watching the developments around Dr. Moore, where people that disagreed with him politically discounted him on everything or sort of another sort of parallel trend we've seen is certainly those who speak against abuse in the church often then get lumped together in sort of this political bucket and people just assume, well, they just have these political axes to grind and they're, and they're after the church when what they're trying to do is exactly what you were saying, which is be men of the truth, women of the truth. And the last thing we should want to do is be more concerned that we get people that we agree with politically, but who are willing to overlook... Abuse in the church, because it it is present and it's destructive and it's displeasing to the Lord. And God doesn't have in the Bible a, a political platform that He says thou shalt always vote blank, but He does have very clear instruction on defending the flock. It's ironic that we'll go after the one that's sort of a cultural inference, but we will look the other way while people blatantly violate what Scripture says.
0: Right, and and if we are, and if we are the disciples of the good shepherd, and we don't shepherd these vulnerable, and we and we speak with hostility toward those who are trying to protect the vulnerable, uh, then we're not actually following the good shepherd. So, I don't want to lose a voice like Russell Moore's. I don't want to lose a voice like Beth Moore's. Uh, I can't pronounce her name. Rachel uh, Den Hollander. Yes. Yeah. These are these are people speaking the truth about things that are going on, and they need to be defended in speaking that truth, and and not and not brushed aside. Because as as we've seen, the the shadow cast over the Catholic Church in particular, the Roman Catholic Church. What happens? Um, when when those ministers have covered up abuse, disaster, complete disaster. So uh, we should learn that lesson from from those highly visible brothers and sisters uh, that covering things up uh, never never helps because the truth will out. You know the truth will always win out, uh, and and you better you know you better defend the truth and go with the truth rather than oppose the truth because when the lord cleans cleans that dirt out it tends to be more painful uh tends to be a very heavy pruning so if we're going to be pruned uh let's willingly willingly submit to the pruning you know um and not stand in god's way because Because God is a consuming
1: fire. Absolutely. We need to to look wherever we happen to be as well, because this is something that that plagues the church in general. The desire to protect the institution, even at the cost of throwing away what God's commanded us to do and allowing abuse to happen and so on. The best thing we can do if we want to to serve God and see his bride well-prepared and well-equipped is to be responsive to the Holy Spirit, as we were talking about earlier, and in that, to hear the things that are wrong and do our part, whatever that might be, to stand against them and to stand for God's truth.
0: And I, and I know uh, that you have not always had pleasant experiences in your sectors of the church, so I know that you're, you're sensitive to things like abuse of power, which could be at play here as well not just with sexual abuse, but with other things too. And so having been in that position, I know that you have a heart for that and I appreciate that. And I think Dr. Moore would appreciate those folks who understand, you know, the cross that he's been bearing along these lines. So thank you for, thank you for standing for that and for sharing your own experiences with me and with others.
1: It's uh, Thank you. Sort of the unfortunate situation there, but one that that can be a blessing, and this is where I appreciate what you've shared over time as well, is when we share these things and we're we're honest about the blemishes, we're not taking away from the church. And as unpopular as it is to often talk about it, I I really think we're doing what God's called us to do, um, because we don't need to somehow pretend that the church is better than it is. We're not trying to have the perfect church. We're trying to be a church that follows the perfect savior. And I think we sometimes get those two things confused, but um, I, I've certainly done an inadequate job, but I, I'm certainly um, glad I I have at least an opportunity at times to, to speak up. And I do hope that those listening, if anyone has faced any kind of abuse in the church and, and they need someone to talk to, they could, of course, reach out to us. We could connect them with someone that might be helpful. Certainly, I I feel called to pray for people that are going through abuse in the church.
0: My door is always open, so come find me.
1: We're both very serious about that. And if you already know us, you know that. If you don't, other than listening to the podcast, you may not, but we really are serious. And so, serious topic, and we're serious about being there if you'd like to, to reach out. And we're also serious in talking about our good Savior. And and that's what actually angers me a lot. Even watching the treatment of people standing up for these issues, like like the two Moors we've been speaking of, it's so awful that what we do, instead of hearing their critiques and responding to them in a godly fashion, we actually, as as a collective audience as the church, have often turned and just aimed the abuse at them. And use the same things that they're highlighting. We're de- we see the church demonstrate those things, and it's it's awful. Um, it's certainly part of the social media mob, and we as Christians should not be part of that.
0: I agree. And speaking of social media. I believe that was going to be our next topic. It is
1: going to be our next topic. And I think it kind of ties in because we're going to be talking a little bit here about Twitter versus Facebook. And you mentioned right before we went on the air that you have from years ago a mortally declared a statement about Twitter. And maybe you should tell the listeners what that is. Uh,
0: I wrote a blog post and I said, I still think Twitter is stupid. Um, And It wasn't even about Twitter, that post, but it's so funny uh, because I start off saying I can't say anything important in 140 words or whatever it was now, or 120 words it was at first, and now it's 280 or something like that. Um, And I'm a total hypocrite because I'm on Twitter now. So uh...
1: I'm right there with you because I, I didn't get Twitter. I didn't understand it in so many ways, and it seemed like just this sort of firehose of people making statements. But one thing that struck me, and and sort of it ties together with what we were just talking about, both social media platforms have become platforms where people have turned into something of a mob, uh, to put it lightly. But one thing that's really bothered me as Facebook has adjusted its algorithms is, is that it feels like most of what I see in Facebook is meant to incite the the inner mob in me and, and bring that out in me and make me angry. And I actually find that Twitter doesn't do that as much anymore. And so I have found, well, oftentimes I go on Facebook and I just see some, some memes that make me upset. At least on Twitter now, as much as I was also a naysayer on it, I can go over there and there's interesting theological conversations going on. There are interesting philosophical conversations going on and even amusing things that, like, it seemed like you saw more on Facebook in years past. So um, I, I'm right there with you.
0: Yeah, um, I think I think Twitter is doing a good job capturing the, the urgency of communication and where it is right now. Um, whereas, you know, a couple decades ago, we've talked about blogging before. Blogging is so old school. So we kind of went from blogging to Facebook, now Facebook is a little bit too slow and too oldster, I guess. You know, uh, and and now it's Twitter and Snapchat and and all these other smaller apps for quicker communication. There's TikTok, but Twitter is doing a good job capturing that urgency of very quick communication uh, with smaller at least sometimes smaller groups and maybe it's better at curating, which goes along with kind of what you're saying. Um, and so I think that's interesting.
1: I think, uh, one thing that if people aren't familiar with Twitter that they really should take some time and, and, uh, would benefit from is to go on and, and find a few people that you would like to learn more from who have a habit of posting Twitter threads, uh, you know, yes, the individual tweets are short, but an interesting phenomena that's popped up on there is the art of the Twitter thread where you string together a whole bunch of those little tweets. And it's almost like a, a form of poetry where you're constricted line by line by a certain length, but you can group it together and make these longer discussions. And there are so many really insightful things you can find in that format. Uh, and certainly one of the things I love is there there are good theological discussions, people engaging meaningfully with the scriptures using that form. And so I, I find it really insightful. I'm still going to put the flag up for for blogging and say I think we should be spending more time blogging and less time on on these platforms that we don't have control over. But I, at the moment, at least I really appreciate what's happening on Twitter more than Facebook.
0: Yeah. I like my sector of weird Christian Twitter. And I like a lot of those conversations going on there for a lot of the same reasons. Um, and maybe the clock has run out on, on Facebook or the sun is setting as it were. We'll see. I mean, it's still the biggest social media platform, but I like that these others are jumping in and filling a role that was once filled and. Maybe now it's being filled in a different way.
1: Yes, yeah. yeah. I'm not canceling my Facebook account like people uh, sometimes do anytime soon, but I'm certainly spending less time there. Another thing I like about Twitter, and and this goes back to that curation or algorithm approach, the differences between the two of them that we've been talking about, uh, and something that we both have appreciated about it is that it seems like I've noticed more prayer requests seem to float up into my newsfeed on Twitter that I see on Facebook. And I, I know they're being posted in both, but it seems like Twitter surfaces them better. And we've both found that really to be a blessing, the idea of seeing what people are asking for prayers for on social media. Sometimes people I know or that we know, sometimes people that you only know by by following or, or you follow someone else and they've retweeted the prayer request. But it's really kind of neat when you think about leveraging social media so that more people can pray.
0: Yeah, I've definitely found that 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 even saying a quick prayer for someone who has asked for it on Twitter just is a wonderful way to be praying without ceasing as the Scripture commands. And to know when you get to the book of Revelation and you see the incense, the censer with the smoke coming around the altar and realizing that, that 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 incense is is every prayer that's risen up from earth, you know, from the beginning and and there you get some lightning again there but and if we knew i wish i thought about that more but if i read that passage in revelation where it talks about that and i and i thought that my prayer had that much power boy, i'd probably pray more than i do even now so so that's something that can encourage us that even when we're we say scrolling mindlessly, but even when we're scrolling mindlessly on Twitter or Facebook and we can pray, then we're not at least entirely wasting our time on social media absolutely, uh, so that's an encouraging aspect of of social media, and one that I hope continues and it grows, you know, so
1: yeah, if instead of doom scrolling when we're tired at night, as they call it when you're just scrolling endlessly, we could hope scroll by keeping people in prayer that in itself is an amazing thing and i think it also changes our attitude it's a whole lot harder to become part of those mobs that we were talking about because it helps us keep perspective so it, prayer has all kinds of wonderful benefits of course just simply being in the presence of god when we do that he works in us and shifts our perspective and sometimes keeps our less pure motives at bay a little bit um, thankfully as the holy spirit works we come right back to where we started tonight It's not something that I I think you have to be legalistic about. Just go on and find people there posting prayer requests and be blessed by the opportunity to join in the multitude of saints around the world praying and use social media for a positive, hopeful thing like that.
0: I agree completely.
1: our second sponsor today. Our second sponsor is once again, FaithTree.com. If you've been listening to Zippy, the wonder snail, you know about faith Tree. It's a great way to keep track of your news and weather and stocks and, and all kinds of encouraging devotionals all in one place without advertising. And it's a really special month for faith Tree, And that's why we're talking about it right now. Faith Tree is celebrating its 20th anniversary. It has been serving as the, customizable Christian homepage on the internet. And it's still going strong. It's going stronger than ever. And if you haven't already signed up for an account, you should go sign up for a FaithTree.com account, customize it. You can change out all the news and weather and sports you like to your taste, customize it with your own favorite colors, show your favorite locations for weather. It can be yours. It won't be constantly trying to blast you with advertisement, and throughout the usage of it, it will give you different opportunities to engage with God's Word. So it's a great opportunity to redeem the internet a little bit more. Please do check it out, faithtree.com.
0: You were going to talk about the Olivet Discourse, uh, Matthew 24, a little bit to wrap us up here.
1: Yes, so Jesus' Olivet Discourse, I've been preaching on it the last few weeks, and I thought maybe a place for us to wrap up tonight, we were talking about the Holy Spirit as you've been working through the Upper Room Discourse over in the Gospel of John. As we think about the work of the Holy Spirit and how he's working in our lives, one of the things he does that's super important is that he is constantly helping us to be prepared. Jesus talks about, as much as anything in that Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, the need to be ready. And he calls us to be ready, not in the sense of I'm opening up my newspaper and finding out how revelations fulfilled by what Russia's doing or Israel's doing or China's doing or trying to figure out who the Antichrist is or that sort of thing that that actually we can get really wrapped up in. But being prepared as in doing what the Holy Spirit enables us to do showing God's love, being ready in the sense of actually doing what he's called us to do for all time. And and I think it's funny how we can get so wrapped up in quote-unquote being prepared. We focus on all the trimmings and and trying to figure out exactly when Jesus is going to return, even though he said that we can't figure that out. And we miss out on the much more important thing of doing what he's called us to do.
0: There may be some wisdom in prepping, as they call it, and doomsday prepping. Some people are into uh, stocking up food and water and things. But we need to be spiritual preppers, too, and, and know that Jesus Christ is calling us to be, to be ready, not to be like the virgins who didn't bring oil for their lamps. But we have the oil of the Holy Spirit to guide us in hope, in waiting for him to return. It's even a phrase that gets used in worship. We wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's wait joyfully, and we can be joyful Because Jesus Christ is the Lord and he's promised to return and we will meet him in the air and he will take us to be with him in heaven and not to take anything away from the new heavens and the new earth, but to be in the presence of God forever where there will be no crying anymore, no tears anymore. We will be at peace with God in the new Jerusalem. That is what we hope for and that is what we pray for and that's what we order everything in life towards is to be ready to meet him and to rejoice with him and him to rejoice in us. He says, I will rejoice over you with singing in in Zephaniah. To know that the Father will rejoice over me with singing and that even he does now fills me with joy.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and if we recognize that, it allows us to have, I think, a, a very different approach because we're not approaching in this fearful anticipation you you referenced prepping earlier, and if it's about I have to prepare myself for the coming earthly apocalypse and what what might happen in that, it's, it's focused on fear, where if instead what we're thinking is we're those who are called to prepare for the celebration because we already are those whom our God rejoices over, not because of our perfection or, or, or in any way that that we could ever deserve that, but because he loves us. And so instead, what we're supposed to be doing is just being immersed in that and showing that love to others. And in a, a weird way, it's how my weird mind works. I think what really struck me as I was working on on this series over the last few weeks was this picture that Jesus has of the Son of Man, Jesus returning like a lightning bolt from the east to the west. He says that as he's talking about the signs of him returning in verses 27 and 28 of chapter 4. And lightning's kind of a funny thing if you think about it. Lightning, on the one hand, when you're in the middle of an electrical storm, you can't miss it. And so when we get wrapped up, oh, I need to make sure I know all the signs so I don't miss Jesus coming, we're missing the point that you're not going to miss when Jesus comes. It's not something that we can miss because just like you can't miss a giant. Thunderbolt occurring right outside your window, and you hear it, and it shakes you, and you feel it, and you see it. We're not going to miss the the return of Jesus. On the other hand, I think the other thing it captures is lightning is something that comes without our expecting it. In that moment, we can we can be looking for lightning. I, I try to capture pictures of lightning, and it's incredibly hard to do because no matter how much I try to predict where it's going to strike and when it's going to strike, I inevitably guess wrong. And and the only way I manage to capture lightning. It's just to take a bunch of pictures. And sometimes by the sheer number of pictures I take, I, I hit it. <laughs> but I keep doing the thing that I need to do. I keep preparing. I keep pressing the shutter button. And that's basically what Jesus is calling us to do, is to keep preparing, to be ready for him by doing the, the normal tasks he's called us to do. They seem menial, but they're actually great joy. And we're doing it with the Holy Spirit with us. And so what greater joy could we have than that?
0: And then you remember, I'll say this as a final thing, you remember in the two letters to the Thessalonians, Paul says, some have come and deceived you as though the day of the Lord has already come. Don't listen to them. This is a Jason paraphrase of the scriptures. Don't listen to them. This is what's going to happen. He's, he's going to call those who have fallen asleep first, and then the rest of us will be caught up to meet him in the air. The day of the Lord, at least not entirely, has not come. Um, and when it does finally um, and when our Lord is revealed to us fully, then we will definitely not miss it, as many of our hymns teach us. Uh, it is well with my soul, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall we- descend even so, even so, it is well with my soul. so that that trump 's going to be loud. I'm not necessarily excited about loud trumpets because I'm not excited about loud things in general. But if it's Jesus's trumpet, then I'll go with it.
1: I couldn't agree more, Jason. You are so right. Right. We should be looking forward to the end. We should be looking forward to Jesus returning. We know that with him comes his grace and his love. So while the end, yes, it brings judgment, we know that in him there is no condemnation, that in him we have his grace. And in the meantime, we have his spirit with us, as we talked about earlier. So even as we anticipate it, we can go forward with the things God has called us to do with confidence. We can be those who stand for the truth. We can be those who stand against abuse. We can be those who love our neighbors. We can be those who pray for each other, and we can do it with confidence because our God is with us. The end doesn't need to be something that we dread, that we we know is looming, but we hope will somehow be delayed unlike the end of an episode of Zippy, which unfortunately we have reached at this point.
0: I love talking about all these things with you, Tim, and especially with the gospel at the center of it, so I look forward to doing that again.
1: And I with you, my friend, and to all of our friends listening, we enjoy sharing this with you. It's been such a joy once again to have you here with us on Zippy the Wondersnail. Please do subscribe on your favorite podcasting app if you haven't already, so that the latest episode will zip right in as soon as it is available, and you never miss two Christian guys zipping through news, culture, and the things that matter with you. We hope you have a wonderful day, and we will see you again soon, right here on Zippy the Wondersnail.